Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you can create those products that customers love and do it over and over and have a great experience doing that. We love launching products that customers love. Now, you have a lot of tools to help you learn about your customers, tools such as customer visits, interviews, and surveys. And one of my favorites is ethnography, and I find some of the best insights Insights that others, like your competitors, may have missed can come from observing customers or the people that you think should be or will be your customers. And one form of this is called web ethnography. And an expert at it, as well as many other customer research tools, is Bill McDowell. And I really like web ethnography as a way to move into ethnography in a much faster, lower-cost sort of way than we might traditionally think about. And Bill's going to talk about how we can actually do this how we can conduct ethnography step-by-step over the web. He is the COO of Accelerant Research and has vast experience conducting research, customer research, for a wide variety of customers. Now, as we talk, if you hear something you want to go back to, remember, I take all the notes for you. You'll find a summary of our discussion, all the key points, at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 254. Now, let's talk with Bill. Bill, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Happy to be here. Happy to talk with you about qualitative research, research for consumers and markets. And it's one of my favorite topics is how do do we find out more insights about our consumers so we can actually understand their problems, deliver products that create value for them. What was your path to that? How did you get involved in doing this kind of research? Yeah, how did I fall into research? Um, I think you ask anyone that's a researcher how they got into research, and the answer is usually by accident. Hmm. Um, so, you know, my background, my education was marketing. Um, I thought that I was going to be Don Draper, ad exec man, um, graduated from school and needed a job. Uh Anything with marketing or advertising in the title was, sounded good to me. I had a course in market research in in college. I'd taken statistics. I hated both of them, <laughs> uh, but I fell into a junior analyst role at a at a research agency. Huh. Um, began doing this in practice and fell in love with it. Um, something about just the the getting behind the consumer decision making process mm-hmm. and understand what it is that make make these irrational beings tick. Um, it just is it, wonderful, um, and the fact of being able to help. You know, all different lines of business within an organization. Like everybody comes and asks research for answers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, kind of fell into it by accident, but that's all I've done, you know, since. Um, so I've been in research for 20 years now. So spent my first six years at a, at a research supplier, kind of learning the ropes, learning to, to cut my teeth as a, as a researcher. I uh, went over to the corporate side for a couple of gigs, uh, one at Lowe's Home Improvement, uh-huh. uh, one at Bank of America headquarters um, in their innovation research team. Um, from Bank of America, actually started up Accelerant Research, where I've been ever since. And doing research for a variety of customers. 
Indeed. Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to focus on the qualitative aspect of research, right? As you said, there's quantitative and qualitative. Yep. I'm an electrical engineer by background originally and, and enjoy both to some aspect. Mm-hmm. But I find myself, oddly enough, much more involved in qualitative research. Mm-hmm. And maybe because I don't know how to do quantitative well, I don't know. I found better initial insights, probably because I really love that fuzzy front end part of, yeah. of product development work. And I find better insights when we actually somehow encounter the customers in the wild, so to speak, right, in their environment. What kind of insights have you come across? What kind of problems do you find that you say, here, let's use qualitative research to address that? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's always, you know, usually for me, it comes down to, you know, one of two decisions. Um, Quantitative is more for explaining the, the, I call it the what, right? Mm -hmm. And I call qualitative the why. So quantitative research is fantastic for, you know, concrete answers to specific questions when you know enough about a subject matter to be able to write a smart survey or questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Qualitative is where you need to either understand, you know, the context behind that that quantitative research that you've done or you're entering into territory that you are, you know, close to clueless about and you need to explore, you need to, to unearth and understand. And as you mentioned, you know, that kind of front end fuzzy, you know, this is where qualitative is beautiful because it's not defined. You, you need to kind of use it as, as that inspiration source as it were. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. The, you know, with my researcher hat on, you know, doing the PhD work, I always thought of qualitative as building the theory, right? Let's try to make some observations, figure out what we think is going on, come up with a model to explain things. And then the quantitative research is let's test that now. Well, you know, we, we think we know what's going on. Let, let's get some more information. Like surveys yeah. are helpful for that and consumer research as well. I'm a huge fan of, of you know, using both in tandem, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and especially in this day and age of, of, of big data, um, it, not even, you know, survey-based research, but all of the behavioral metrics that, that we have access to these days, yeah. they uh, inevitably unearth questions and why and context and these areas for, you know, these, these qualitative exploration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been interesting to me that people don't know probably about some of the impact that qualitative research has had in very big ways in very small groups. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. we, there's complaints about just interviewing a few people or observing a few people. Yeah. And the one I came across last year was Gatorade's business turnaround when they moved to doing pre-workout products and post-workout products and everything that was all based on interviews with 12 high school athletes mm-hmm. right that started that whole new path for them so i do like that aspect right small numbers groups and particularly i'm a big fan of ethnographic research when we go out and we observe users in their environment and we try to gain new insights that maybe our competitors haven't seen yet and sometimes that gets criticized because it can take time. Usually you need trained people that have to go somewhere. So it involves travel and just the time to do the observations and then collect the data and some kind of synthesis of that data. Um, so it's looked at as expensive and time consuming. Even then, I think it's really well worth it. But you've been doing webcam ethnography mm-hmm. and really interested in that as an alternative. Can you just tell us about that approach in general? Sure. Um, and I think I'll first level set um, by saying when we we talk about ethnography in general I I'll make the comparison between you know traditional ethnography and 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 webcam ethnography mm-hmm. um when we're talking about ethnography here it's the business variant um so you know 
going back in history to where ethnography got its start, this is an anthropological method, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I'm sure if there's anyone with an anthropology background listening, uh, they're going to be cringing quite a bit because what we're talking about is, you know, kind of the the business adaptation of it, right? Um, it's inspired by, but it's not, you know, immersing yourself in a, in a culture, for example, for, you know, months or years. Um, this tends to be, you know, quicker hit, a couple of hours worth of, you know, spending time with a, a target population, consumers or, you know, users of a given product. Okay. okay. <laughs> so that's the level set, uh-huh. right? Uh, you know, webcam-based ethnography is something that we've actually gotten into at Accelerant uh, quite a bit over the past, you know, I'd say five-ish, five-ish years. Um, and it's really been born out of just the comfort that that, that consumers now have sharing digitally, right? Uh-huh. Uh, everybody's on, on FaceTime or, or Skype. You know, grandparents and toddlers are, are comfortable communicating via, via these methods. Um, we actually got started with with webcam based qualitative research uh, probably ten plus years ago hmm. when it was clunky. It was a, you felt like you were conducting an interview with uh, if you've ever seen the CNN feed, you know, interviewing someone on on the space station, for example. This choppy, you know, pixelated, delayed kind of conversation, which felt very forced, very contrived, and didn't feel very comfortable. Um, th- those days are over. People, consumers are very comfortable now, you know, just sharing anything and everything um, via via their webcam. So, you know, traditional in-person ethnography is actually sending an ethnographer, a camera person, you know, maybe some some observers and note takers mm-hmm. to the natural habitat, to the, the, the consumer's home in, in many cases, watching them doing something, asking them questions about it, you know, understanding in depth you know, their interaction with whatever product category. So take, you know, pasta sauce, for example, watching them prepare dinner and and and, and cook and how they interact with, you know, products, packaging and, and, and all that good stuff. Um, doing this via webcam, you sort of put the put the participant or, or the consumer into almost the, like a self-directed ethnographer role, you know, the, no longer is someone kind of over their shoulder invading their home. Instead, we're doing it via, you know, a, a webcam based conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, so maybe it's, you know, if it's the same person preparing dinner and, and, you know, showing us their pasta usage habits, you know, set up the smartphone on the countertop, um, hit it to record and, and, you know, show, show off what it is that you're doing. A lot of times we refer to these as show and tell interviews because it really is about, not just asking someone to describe what it is that they're going through, but to be able to see it in action, you know, where some of those nuggets of, you know, uh, customer frustration or, or pain points or these innovation opportunities can really, can really lie. Excellent. So from that description, and I don't have any familiarity with this area of webcam ethnography, it sounds like I could think of this as really a customer interview that we do with the benefit of the webcam, adding the video, just like you and I, most people are listening to this right now, but you and I are on Zoom so we can see each other, just because I find that really enhances the conversation, right? And likewise, if you're doing that customer interview, being able to see them and ask them maybe to be interacting with a product or going through a task can give us more insights as well. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair comparison? 
kind of the, the, this interview with more bandwidth in the sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, in many cases, we used to do a lot of telephone based uh, uh-huh, ethnographic right. research. Right. You know, it's, it's fantastic to be able to, to speak with someone, to, to listen to them describing. But to the extent that you can actually see them doing what it is that you're, you're talking about, there, there's so much nuance that, that, that can be taken away from that. Yeah. Things that people, you know, don't even realize or can't articulate. Right. Um, you know, with, with regard to ethnographic research, um, you know, think about famous examples of uh, like the Heinz ketchup bottle, right? The, mm-hmm. the glass bottle that people used to, you know, struggle with and, and beat to death to be able to get 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 the product out. Right. Well, you know, observational and ethnographic research reveals case after case after case of consumers, you know, upside down stacking the ketchup bottle, you know, between the yogurt and the cottage cheese in the fridge, and then you know. After enough examples of seeing this, you know, the, the light bulb goes off and mm-hmm. Heinz designs the upside down plastic ketchup bottle. It's, you know, it's that no brainer that, you know, nobody thought of and right. everybody wonders why. Yeah, exactly. It's when you get to see how people actually do the task, you get new insights. Hey, Dad, I think you should interrupt this interview to tell your listeners something important. Oh, what's that? You should tell them about your new mini course. Oh, Okay. What do you suggest? You could interview yourself. <laughs> okay, how would that work? It would go like this. Hi, Chad. Tell me about your new mini course. Thanks for asking, Chad. I just published the second edition of my book, Turning Ideas into Market-Winning Products. The mini course covers some of the key ideas from the book. Brilliant! What sort of ideas? You'll discover what to do as a product developer, manager, and innovator, methods for finding and testing ideas that lead to valuable products customers love, how to really use the minimal viable product approach, and much more. Splendid! Is it free? Yes, it is, and you don't need the book to get value from the mini course. Capital! How much time do I need to complete the course? I made it short. Each lesson is only five minutes, and you'll receive a new lesson every two days in your email box. Whoa! Where can I get it? Just head over to www.theeverydayinnovator.com slash book. Huzzah! What was that again? www.theeverydayinnovator.com the everydayinnovator.com slash book. Um, there's just one problem. I can't speak with an English accent. Oh, no problem. I'll do it for you. <laughs> you know, one of my very first ethnographic research opportunities, and I had no idea that there was this body at the time called ethnography research, right? That there were actual disciplines around this. I was just observing a group of users. But you see at times, you know, in this case, when they're interacting with the computer system, talking with each other, going to a notebook to find information, right? Maybe putting a, a few notes on a post-it note and putting that on the computer screen. Mm-hmm. And you start to recognize, oh, you know, their, their task is actually taking them away from what we want them to do often because they're looking up other information. Maybe we can make that simpler for them by giving them a way to just keep all that kind of as part of the task in, in the computer sure. system, right? You, you just you learn things simply by watching, and that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So, so that's an example of where ethnography c- can help for sure, that this uh, webcam ethnography. Do you have a, an example that you could share on where you've seen this help before, um, maybe a research project you've done? 
Sure. Um, you know, we do this in a lot of different, you know, product categories and, and, you know, verticals for, for different, you know, goods and services. Um, you know, the example that that came to mind is a, is a recent one of ours. Um, and this was for a a shoe insole company. Um, you know, and this was a neat bit of research because it touched a lot of different phases. It got into branding, package design, um, innovation for, for future product development as well. Um, and a very simple you know, bit of research where we started with a, a homework assignment. So asking participants to, to go to a, a store, a, a retailer, shop the, you know, the foot care section for, for insoles. Um, actually purchase a product, bring it home. And then we engaged. And so that was kind of a, the pre-work to, mm-hmm. to level set them and, and get them prepared for the interview. Um, then we asked them to do a webcam based interview. I, I believe these were probably, you know, 45 minute long interviews um, where we, you know, we started with actually. So this was an insult geared toward uh, working out in fitness. Um, and these were folks who did home home gyms or home home fitness. Well, step one was asking them to to take us on a tour. So tell us about their space, show it to us. Um, you know, this is where I work out. This is how I use this type of equipment. Um, and then, you know, as with a lot of qualitative research, you start off very very broad. It's almost like a funnel, and you kind of work your way into the into the subject matter. Um, so being able to see their space. But then getting into okay, their their athletic shoes and you know their actual aches and pains that they deal with, and then you know sit down at the kitchen table and and you know go through more of a, a you know this type of conversation you and I are having where it's you know the webcam based. But we also had them remember way back during their homework assignment um, purchasing a, a product of interest to us um, and to the, the the client that I was working with. Um, actually having them going through what we call an unboxing or unpackaging exercise of, you know, they purchase this, open it up, the you know, initial reaction, start talking through it. Um, all of these little bits and pieces and artifacts that, that can be just of, of enormous uh, value to, to, to a client strategically. Really good. So I have questions about some of the specifics, the mechanics of setting all that up, but I wonder if maybe we can just take that through more generally if a customer comes to you and, and, and maybe we can think of another example with that, that was really good, and says, hey, I want to have a better understanding of how my customers are interacting with my shoelaces or, or whatever it is, right? Sure. Maybe we can go through the steps of how do you even begin thinking about this? What are you going to set up? How do you select the people that you're mm-hmm. going to use? I assume you're thinking of some kind of structured interview guide a little bit, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. walkthrough and what we're going to ask them, have them do. Take us through that process, how we would construct one of these. All right. Yeah. So kind of step by step. Uh, number one is, and this is really true of this type of ethnographic research. Mm-hmm. This is true of just about any research study. Number one is, you know, you define your your business problem, your your objectives and, and your target audience, really. Okay. So what is it I'm, I'm, I'm looking to learn conceptually, not like I need to, you know, write a questionnaire at this point or, you know get into super detail this is more about the business question okay. what are the things i'm looking to learn what's my agenda here so for um, the shoe and soles what, what mm-hmm. was their objective what were they trying to find out about yep um their objective was to be able to go into a 
a buyer meeting at a, at a large retailer, you know, I think two months down the road and tell the, their buy, their client that they're trying to sell to, you know, you need to dedicate this much space to, to, to our product. Hmm. Um, and here's why based on, you know, consumer research that we've done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what they were getting ready for. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, you know, figure out what you want to learn and also among whom, who, who is your target population and, and what are you going to do with this information? Mm-hmm. Once you have a sense for those types of objectives, then you determine your, your methodology. Um, it may be ethnography. I don't know if you can see, I'm sitting in one of our in-person focus group rooms mm. here, here at Accelerant. Um, you know, it's decision point. Okay. Is this qualitative research or, or is this quantitative research? We've decided that it's qualitative in nature, but what type of qualitative? Is it focus groups? Is it ethnography? Is it in-person ethnography? Is it digital ethnography? Right. Different um, choices. You know, once you kind of, and, and there's always going to be, you know, trade-offs. There's, you know, the, uh, the three-headed monster of, you know, cost, um, time and quality, we'll call it. You know, mm-hmm. you always have to be thinking about, about these factors. What kind of pressures are, are you under from a budget standpoint, from a timing standpoint? You know, do these decisions need to be made by X date where, you know, this is drop dead for, you know, next year's planning or, or being able to actually get this product in motion? Um, sometimes that those very decisions can dictate whether or not you, you would do this, you know, traditional in person or, uh, online. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, th- I don't know if we talked about it previously, but online ethnography, obviously it's, it's a pretty big cost savings over, you know, going sure. on the road and, and, and all the travel that is involved. And it's, it's much quicker. Right. Yep. Good benefits. Because of that. Yep. Okay. I'll go ahead. I was wondering if you could connect some dots on that target audience for me. So just on the specifics, sole example, the insole example, Mm -hmm. first off, if the objective is how much space do we need on our end cap or our shelf space in the, in the buyer's store, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's different ways we could approach that. Maybe the first direct approach would be let's set up three different kinds of displays and Mm -hmm. monitor traffic and responses and and see what that looks like. So I'm curious how you ended up with this approach and if there were other things you also did to maybe expand this and then connecting the dots with what users you picked then, right? Because you you Mm -hmm. said you picked people that worked out at home, which is a specific segment of, you know, people buying insoles. Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd say this is probably the most crucial part of a qualitative research study is, you know, who do we even talk to? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, a large survey among, you know, hundreds of people, you can be very general in nature and, and kind of, in many cases, use that to, to determine who your, your real target audience is. Um, when it comes to qualitative, you have to, you have to be more careful. You have to contrive a little bit more. You have to think about, you know, who is the, the sweet spot mm-hmm. individual that, that we want to, to talk to here. And, you know, I, I'll throw it out. I don't know. I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but the answer to any research question is always, it depends. Right. <laughs> uh, so whatever factors are, are happening internally and, you know, there, a lot of things can, can dictate, you know, who that, that, that target audience is. Um, but these are conversations, you know, you sit down, you have meetings, you figure out um, the who of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in many cases, it's it's you want someone who's who's interacted in in you know some recent time period with the product category. 
that's pretty reasonable because what you don't want is someone who you know is absolutely clueless about subject matter um, because that comes you know presenting them with with a new product that they would never even consider it becomes kind of a dud and and pointless interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you have to take take great care along those lines. Right. So, so how did you come up with the specific audience for the insults? I recall it being a back and forth process. Um, and oftentimes the client is going to come to us with, with some knowledge. Already. Yeah. A lot of these conversations may, you know, when a research agency like ours would get involved, it depends. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, we have certain clients where we'd be right there at the front end. You know, they have no internal research department or, or presence and they would engage us immediately. We're on the you know, on a conference call with with brand and product managers, and we're talking through all of these nuances with them. In other cases, we have you know, large corporate clients that have you know large insights departments internally. They've already had all these conversations. They come to us with you know basically we've we've already determined the methodology. We've already determined the audience. We've already determined exactly what we want to do here. Accelerate go. Okay. Um, so it's. It's always a trade-off. And always a trade-off, yeah. And in this case, clearly, we wanted to find people that had some soreness, some aches and pains related to feet. And sure, the at-home audience could have gone any other directions, and maybe the client had some specifics there. Mm -hmm. How do you go about finding them then? Yep. Um, Recruitment is a big part of of qualitative Mm -hmm. research. Um, We do all of our recruitment in-house at Accelerant. Uh, we have a very large nationwide consumer panel that we that we draw from. That, by the way, anyone can go sign up for if, if exactly you want right. to participate <laughs> in a future qualitative research study. Indeed. <laughs> um, so we will, you know, that's that's source number one for us mm-hmm. is to tap into that. You know, these are folks that we've already vetted, that we've already profiled, that you know have already expressed interest in participating mm-hmm. in, in research. So we can kind of hit on them as a first source. Um, with qualitative research, oftentimes you're dealing with, you know, very niche and, and, and small audiences because you've got a very specific profile that you, that you want to meet. I mean, it can be, you know, let's take the foot care example. It could be, you know, someone who's purchased at a Target in the past month, you know, this particular line or brand, and they must live in, you know, in this DMA uh-huh. Um, because that's where, you know, the client has determined is going to be a test market for whatever this product is, right? So, you know, that large consumer panel that we have nationwide, well, that gets whittled down pretty quickly when you're layering on all of these these nuances. Uh-huh. So, you know, we'll start with our panel, but we'll also go to different advertising sources or, or you know, we've got lots of different methods that we use for, for recruiting these participants. Um, but it, it always starts with an initial profiling uh, yeah. of them. So, you know, take them through a short screening survey, for example. This may be online. This may be on the phone. Um, one of our team of recruiters would actually speak with, with these folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason for that because you want to – put them through their paces to a certain extent. You want to speak to them. You want to understand, you know, this is not quantitative research where, you know, it's a census of a given population. No, you've contrived this a little bit. You're putting on a show to a certain extent. You know, you want to make sure that that the participants are are qualified, that they have experience with the category, but you also want to make sure that, you know, they're good communicators, that they 
you know, have the right equipment. If this is going to be webcam based, obviously you want to make sure that they, you know, possess the right bandwidth, the right browser, depending on the platform that you're using to collect this, inf- uh-huh. excuse me, this information, you, you want to make sure that they can easily take part. Uh, we call that, you know, the tech check portion of, of uh, recruitment. So this is a bit of a back and forth process to, to make sure that, you know, who we have is is the right person, that they're vetted, that they're qualified, because ultimately, you know, when we conduct this this webcam one on one interview, um, our standard is to always live stream these. So I mentioned I'm sitting in, in focus group facility room where we have the one way glass and, you know, clients can can sit behind and, and eat the M&Ms and, and <laughs> you know, watch as the research unfolds. When we do these digitally, we try to, to, to mirror that same experience, right? So we give live, you know, behind the scenes access to, to client observers and, you know, stakeholders within the team so they can see these interviews as they're happening and happening and unfolding. That part's really powerful. I'm glad you brought that up. So as product managers, we need to influence someone. Maybe it's the engineering team. And having them be able to participate in real time and see what's going on from the customer's actual, you know, actions and what they're talking about can be really powerful, right? Um, and showing the video later is certainly really useful, but just ha- having that real-time participation, that can be really powerful. It can. Oh, and I was just going to say that, you know, there is, yeah, I will say one potential drawback if you don't prepare for it uh-huh. ahead of time with, with webcam-based interviewing is this sort of autopilot mentality. You know, if you're doing in-person research where the team must get together and they must be there in person as it's happening, well, they're sequestered and they have no choice <laughs> but to, to listen in and take part. It's webcam-based. Well, they can do it at home or at their desk or on their phone while they're on the, the treadmill. And there is this tendency to, you know, multitask and right. to zone out, as it were. You got to be checked in. Yeah, you really do. Um, you know, and I always look at it as, you're determining an internal team and there's a hierarchy to that. I think there are key folks internally who should be viewing every minute of every interview, Mm -hmm. right? They need to be the ones who, you know, pick up on the nuance and and identify those little nuggets of of information. There are like your executive team and, and the folks at a higher level who maybe that's not such a good idea because this stuff is, it's laborious. It's a bit of a marathon to, to sit through interview after interview after interview. Um, you know, you get a high exec whose time is very valuable. You know, they're in it for 15 minutes. They don't hear what they want and they, you know, jump ship. Right. Instead, with those folks, what I often like to do is is almost put together like a, I don't know, a Netflix, Netflix binge watching. Right. Playlist. You know, grab some, you know. Best moments. Short, yeah, yeah. Your best moments, your highlights. Things that you, you know, the folks who have gone through the pain of, of looking at every single interview have, have identified as the wow moments. And these you sort of, sort of pull off and, and, and show to them after the fact. Yep. And doing so, of course, is with as little bias as possible in an ethical manner, mm-hmm. because I know sometimes we, we can lead to show information that we want as opposed to the full picture. So Certainly. important. Certainly. So many more things we could talk about, which is what I'm curious about. The tech involved, do you find it works equally well with a smartphone, with a laptop, with webcam? What do you find? It depends. And these are the questions that you you, you often need to ask up front. You know, there are certain types of, of studies where a webcam is just, you know, completely inappropriate for it. For example, if there's a lot of, 
maybe you're doing um, some work where you're going to be presenting maybe like trade documents or heavy and dense materials to the participant. Like, so we're doing a, a webcam interview right now. Um, it's just you and me talking to one another. Um, but with these types of, of webcam-based ethnographies, we can absolutely screen share. We can present materials, you know, if, if appropriate, uh, marketing materials, advertisements, what have you. Um, and by that same token, participants can share with us maybe uh, an online shopping experience. We can flip from, you know, a, a webcam to, uh, you know, a screen share right. where participant can take us through the, the process of, you know, shopping online for, for something or show us their, their social media feed where they've, you know, been talking about their, or, you know, influencing this, this product category of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so many different possibilities there. So, you know, it's, at that upfront stage of, of building the research, you, these are the questions you ask. You know, what types of devices should be in versus out of bounds for, for this research? Um, you know, if there aren't restrictions along those lines, um, in certain cases, a platform that you've, you've decided to, that is appropriate for this research, it, it may be restrictive in terms of, you know, the types of devices it, it can, can accept. Well, you need to take that into consideration when recruiting because, you know, if you haven't done your homework, you don't want to discover when it's, you know, interview time and you've got CMO waiting for, for, for this interview to begin mm-hmm. that a participant is on, you know, uh, two versions ago Android device that just doesn't work on, on right. this platform. Um, that can be painful. Speaking from experience, it sounds like. <laughs> Indeed. Have the scars to prove. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Good. Well, lots of good information, more details we could go into, but this gives us a good understanding of that we can accomplish more just by introducing webcams video into our interviews and do more with like, you know, walk us through the unboxing, walk us through the, what what the steps are in some process we're asking them to do. And we get new insights. Thank you for sharing all that. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. What did you bring for us and why did you choose it? Okay. I have two favorites that I couldn't decide. Let's hear them both then. They're they're in the same theme, so I'll I'll just go with it. Uh, Number one, from the great Tupac Shakur, uh, even even though you're fed up, you've got to keep your head up. Okay. Number two is from Mark Twain, and this is, continuous improvement is better than delayed perfection. Okay, so both under the same theme, and this is what I mentioned earlier, especially with this type of ethnographic research and innovation in, in general, really. You are, it's a process that you must embrace. Um, you are going to find yourself in the middle of that process getting frustrated and maybe not, you know, seeing or understanding. You kind of got to, to, to keep your eyes up and, and focused on what is the end goal. Right. Um, so much innovation is about incrementality. It's not about, you know, these once in a lifetime breakthrough game changing products. Oftentimes it's, you know, a, a nugget of information that will help you, you know, make a shift to, to a packaging design that, you know, allows you to fit a few more box or a few more, you know, packages in into a, a crate that you can now ship and save the company a ridiculous amount of money. Um, you know, they're not sexy or exciting, but these are these are breakthroughs and, right. and these little base hits that that really add up. Yep. Good. I, I like both those quotes. The <laughs> continuous improvement is important because sometimes people try to somehow build up to that perfection mm-hmm. and we never get there if we're not just always trying, right? That's how we get better at anything. So 
great quotes. Thanks for sharing that. How can people find out about the work that you do? Sure. Um, so accelerantresearch.com. That's number one. And I hope we can link to it because that is a mouthful. I'll make sure it's in the show <laughs> notes to make it easy to find. Yeah. And I'm also a, a LinkedIn zealot. So feel free to look me up, Bill okay. McDowell, look for the bald head. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy to connect there as well. Excellent. I'll put both those links in the show notes for us. Thanks for talking through some uh, qualitative tools for customer research and specifically on webcam ethnography. Delighted to hear more about how we might put this into use. I hope some listeners do try it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. Please tell your friends about this, your colleagues in product management. This is a great resource for them. Why? Because this is where product leaders and managers make your move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that you can create products that customers love. Now, Bill shared a lot of good information. You know we have those notes for you. That's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 254. And I hope you put some of this into practice, how we can use web ethnography to help us learn more about our customers. And this is a really good way to get into ethnography. If you're already doing web-based interviews or phone-based interviews, this is a really good dimension to add. I think you'll find more about your customers when you can actually see how they're interacting with products or doing a task that you're solving in a better way for them. So hope you try it out. Again, the notes are at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 254. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.